it's kind of a weird, weird problem to have. But when you've made all the money you're going to need for the rest of your life, unless your grandchildren's life, then what are you really left playing for? In other words, the money is a great motivator. But if you've made all the money, then all you really have left are these titles. And of the titles, the only ones that really matter to you are the majors. So then you have all this outsized emotion attached to the majors. And of course, it's a killer. I got thoughts in my head, can't get them out. Trying not to think what I'm thinking about. I got thoughts in my head, can't get them out. Trying not to think what I'm thinking about. Hello, this is Alan Shipnuck. Welcome back to another Fire Drill podcast. It is Sunday evening here at Los Angeles Country Club. The 123rd U.S. Open is in the books. Michael Bamberger and I are straight from the 18th green uh, watching a, a star be born. Is that is that proper English? A star was born. We have a new star in Wyndham Clark. I mean, what a just ballsy performance. He played great all week. All week and especially today. I mean, so many... Middle of the round, it looked like he was going to lose it completely. And he got up and down for, you know, bogey after making an absolute hash of the uh, the par five eighth hole. A couple other great saves. Um, and then hit the shot of the week on, uh, on the par five 14th, threaded that three wood in between those bunkers. That's about a eight yard gap. He ran it up there for the, the two putt birdie that ultimately gave him the cushion that, that got him home. So, um, I mean, we were talking about this the other day has definitely one of my favorite swings in golf. Uh, he's only 28, clearly ascendant. Uh, what do you like about this kid? Well, he's strong as an ox. He's unpretentious. He, he's see ball, hit ball, get better at golf. From the little I picked up on, on YouTube, his swing has improved over the years. I know he's a good college player, but he's way better now. And uh, this is definitely, you know, I realize he's not a household name to people who follow golf casually, but he is not a one and done by any means. This is not Jack Fleck. <laughs> no, and I mean, his is only his second tour win, but the last one was on a big league ballpark too, Quail Hollow. Where they play major majors. championships, yeah. sure. So, um, major. I mean, not a household name, but he's, he's edging in that direction. You know, there's always that moment, kind of maybe, I don't really feel it right now, where, oh, wouldn't have been so great if Rory could win a, you know, win a major again. Wouldn't have been especially so great if Ricky Fowler could have finally, you know, but Ricky Fowler is coming back. Rory is Rory. Uh, uh, you know, Scotty Shuffer, Scotty Shuffer, he can play bad in top five. Uh, so you'd really have to say that golf is in a very good place. But I think the most significant thing for the casual fan is to not be at any way dismissive of this Wyndham Clark. You know, I guess he sort of comes out of the Steve Jones tradition, who was a really fine player, not flashy, not charismatic, but a really fine player. And we would have heard more from from Steve Jones, was it not for injury? Just looking at this guy's physique and the way he goes about his business, there's no you can never predict injury, but he doesn't look like somebody's going to go south anytime soon. That that's all very well said. I mean, thank you. He's <laughs> he just seems like a sort of a self-contained, compact player you know doesn't have a huge entourage and and there's that throwback feel like you said he keeps it simple the, the golf swing is simple his approach is simple and those are it's like scotty sheffler honestly like those are the guys that very could, much just keep going and i mean 
anytime you win an open, anytime you win a major, especially as a youngish player, like your life is going to change. But I can see Clark just being one of those guys who's like, in, instead of getting lost in the sauce and distracted, like you can be a star just by what you do on the golf course. You can make generational wealth just by what you do on the golf course. You don't have to chase all the other things. You don't have to try and be somebody you're not. I, I mean, as far as I know, he has no social media presence. I, I've never come across it anyway. And he just seems like a, like a, a focused dude who is going to maximize his considerable talent. So that's yeah. kind of fun. Yeah. You know, it's something about majors. Uh, we spend so much time and now more than ever in the buildup talking about people that we already know a lot about. We never... Uh, who Ben Curtis, who possibly would have been talking about Ben Curtis or Steve Jones or Scott Simpson or Larry Nelson. I mean, when Larry Nelson won his first one after that, Larry Nelson was Larry Nelson, but that's the nature of majors. If for anybody, I guess there's a little bit of a pep talk to anybody who feels sort of quote, let down by this major, by this championship. Don't because that's sort of the beauty of natures. You know, I mean, as you know, Mike Donald is a great friend of mine. Now Mike was playing great going in that US Open, but nobody expected Mike to be eat tied with Hale Irwin at the end of 72 holes. But that's what happens in, in, in major championship playing. It's part of the greatness of the game, actually. I mean, that's beautifully said. And, you know, the bottom line is Wyndham Clark got it done. He made the putts he had to make. He hit the shots he had to hit. He, he got himself out of trouble. Like, you know, Ricky Fowler, it always felt like it was going to be too soon for him. I mean, this is he's a work in progress still. And, to tiptoe back from the, the abyss, it felt like it wasn't going to be his time. But, you know, Ricky Fowler shot 75 today and made a bunch of bogeys. Yeah, and, and it just went one in the last. Yeah. Uh, and, and he's got a, I mean, this is such a cliche, but from where he was, you know, as Manchinella noted uh, earlier today, you know, not even in the field uh, last year's U.S. Open, but still game enough to show up there and see if he could get in, waiting on the range all day. I mean, that's the kind of grit it takes, and that we didn't always know that we didn't always know that Rory had because it looked like, excuse me, Ricky had because it looked like things came so easily to him. But he does have it, and he's shown it. And you can't, in mid-career, make the significant changes he made, parting with the caddy that you're really close to, going back to Butch Harmon, saying, you know whatever they said, but basically I should have never left in the first place. And uh, so he's got to feel, he really should feel great. Uh, yeah. I mean, for him, this is a building block that you'd have to say this week is a success without a doubt. Ta Everyone else on the board, other than Wyndham Clark, it's hard to feel that great about, I mean, Harris English, he hadn't, he hadn't sniffed too many majors. So, okay. Maybe he can build on this. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't um, know. Kim, yeah. I mean, Ascendant. 29 yesterday, He's, he's finished his eighth, but I mean, you go down the board, we got to talk about Rory because weirdly, even though he was only one shot back at various times uh, throughout this round, it never felt like he was going to do it. It just no. never felt like he was going to do it. No. And even though he was playing in, on some level, perfect U.S. Open golf, I mean, he made what, 11 pars in a row in the middle of his round after birding the first, like that is off. That's how you, these things fall into your lap it often feels like he gets the absolute least out of his rounds. I mean, it was just two putt after two putt after two putt. They got him a birdie on the first hole. Okay. Did what he had to do. But after that, he didn't nothing. He never made another birdie. And it was just, it felt defensive. And you know what happened on the 14th hole? Did you get to see that in person when you're out there walking? No, uh, no I actually couldn't see it from where I was. Cause okay. I was on that other side so, of 15. This is kind of Rory's last decade in a nutshell. 
um, it's a par five. He's one of the greatest drivers of the golf ball in the history of the sport. He's in the thick of the United States Open. He nukes his drive into the rough, like way left. Misses a fairway by 15 yards. On TV, you know, John Wood, um, who's a former caddy and a very astute observer, said, I, I think he could go for it with this lie. Rory elected to lay up. Okay, fine. He's got a wedge in. He dumps it in the bunker, like from the middle of the ferry, from a perfect lie, from a perfect distance. And it it's just the worst swing of the day by any contender. And then it embeds, so they give him a, a free yo, drop, yo, yo. which is the break of the tournament. So yo. now he's got a nice lie in the bunker. <laughs> He's got a chance to hold it. He's certainly going to make par, but he hits a mediocre shot and then he misses like a nine footer makes a six. I mean, it, it's so exasperating. Like it's exasperating for you, Alan. Imagine what it's like for Rory. Uh, but really, I mean, going St. Andrews, Canadian open U S open. Those are three of the biggest titles in this game. You know, people, people forget what a big title is. People, you want, if you're, Rory McIlroy, if you're Tiger Woods, if you're anybody in the game, you'd like to have a Canadian Open. And uh, to not get it done three times, the name of the game to be a superstar, you really, really, really want to be a superstar. you got to get it done. And he actually is not. And, uh, I mean, it's shocking to think, what is it now, 2014 since he's won a major? It's a long time. Full decade, yeah. Um, it was interesting because, you know, I understand Rory's emotional fatigue. I mean – his buddy Jimmy Dunn and Jay Monahan like tore open his chest cavity, ripped out his heart, stomped it on the floor. Like what ha this turnabout with, with the, the live public investment fund merger, like that, that's a body blow. And I, I understand why he, he ran out of gas in Canada and he was very subdued. He was very flat this week. And you know, the last couple days he didn't talk to the media on Thursday at all. He may or may not have been drug tested, which is, you know, that'd be bad luck, whatever. But the last two days, five questions and four questions. That's all he did. It was like short answers, short no answers, emotion. no emotion. It was kind of like old school tiger. Like give you nothing other than I, I have to I show up. I'll fulfill my obligation. And I get it. Like he's been battered and scarred emotionally through all of this. And he's talked so much. He's put himself on the line. Like I understand why he's gun shy, but at the same time by retreating into that shell, He's going against his fundamental nature, which is to be gregarious, to be open, to be giving. And I don't think it serves Rory well to try and turn into Ben Hogan, right? Like that's just not who he is. And hopefully this is just a, a little phase he's going through because it's been such a roller coaster emotionally. But this is he could be seriously damaged by the way this has played out and disillusioned and add that a decade-long streak of all these near misses and all these heartbreaks. Like I'm not suggesting Rory's going to retire tonight, but it just feels like he's at a real crossroads here. And uh, it was painful to see. And then even after all those cock-ups, it's like Clark makes back-to-back -back bogeys. Rory actually guts a really important, say, six-footer on 16. So now he's one back, and he goes to 17th hole, which is a long, tough hole. And he hooks his drive like 50 yards left into the wrong fairway. You know, I'm curious about that. I, I was I was on the golf course. I actually was right on the tee. I thought he was did that did that willfully. Did they say on TV it was a mistake? I don't think so because the way that green is canted, 
he had no very difficult. You got to get a draw shot in there. You can't get it. He had to no stop. angle. There's and, no cut shot. And he, he didn't write the flag. He had a beautiful second shot. And of course, it ran over the green because it was no angle. Yeah. It would make no sense strategically. I don't know. It, he looked totally content to pick up that tee. So I really couldn't tell. But but to, but I would like to know the answer to that. Or does I, anyone. I, I didn't. Well, I didn't. I didn't. You know, you and I ran in here to pod. So I haven't heard his comments. If he says he meant to do it, I don't believe it because it could have gotten caught up in the trees. And on a firm green, there was. Needing a birdie at some point, probably to catch Clark, um, it, it's not the right play. You, you would actually have a better chance of making a three from that front bunker than you would from oh, yeah, holding it yeah. where, he, where he was. If you play down the right side of the correct fairway, you can sling a draw on there and feed the ball back to that flag. It, it strategically, would make no sense. So yeah, well, you could hit a cut shot from the right side of that fairway yeah. with, that, with that hook wind, hit a cut shot into it, hold it, and maybe so have a chance. It's just like so that was a curious play. I, I'd like to know what was going on there, but literally. The bounce in his step is gone. Yeah. That was like, that was his trademark. I know. I remember Jeff Ogilvy commenting on that when he was a rookie. He's like, yeah, that, that bounce in that step is a real thing. People pick up on it and he picks up on it. And it can be a half, you know, it's no way to I calculate mean, it, but you could call it a half shot over the he, course of four days, whatever, what, whatever it is. So, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. The of being, right? Yeah. Like, there was just something. There yeah. was a joy to it, and I get it. Like he's been kicked around so much by, not by the game, just by the majors. Even he's still winning tons of tournaments. He's winning FedEx Cups and Race to Dubai's, and yeah. like it's not like he, he he can't finish or he can't produce. It's just he can't do it when it matters most here and like the last Ryder Cup, and it's just like it. It's there's a there's a there's a fragility there, and we just see it when the stakes go this high. There's it, it, it's kind of a weird, weird problem to have. But when you've made all the money you're going to need for the rest of your life, unless your grandchildren's life, then what are you really left playing for? In other words, the money is a great motivator, you know, for us, for anybody in life, uh, uh, for a plumber. But if you've made all the money, then all you really have left are these titles. And of the titles, the only ones that really matter to you are the majors. So then you have all this outsized emotion attached to the majors. And of course, it's a killer, uh, unless you're Tiger, you know, and you've got just uh, the mentality of all mentalities. So he, he's got to be, you know, he's a big reader. He's a Rotella guy, working with Brad on the putting, free up, free up, this, that, Jimmy Dunn, hang out, hang out, play Seminole, blah, blah, blah. But I don't know what it's really adding up to in terms of the most important thing in his professional life. Now, if he's lucky, he seems lucky. He's got a great wife and a great young daughter and you know and is happy and, and contented but of course professional golf means so much to him uh it's it's per, it's perplexing we can see it weighing on him yeah you know mac barnhard's made this point no one's ever played better after pouring their heart and soul into tour politics than they did before maybe it's happened now and again but not not often and uh you know at some level this is weird to say and you tell me what you think when the players allow themselves to become political people in their own profession, um, it can be dehumanizing because at the end of the day, they have a very singular talent, but it doesn't really translate to understanding the world at large. They think that it does, but it really doesn't. Like an agent told me this week, if they were really smart, they would just turn it over to Ed Hurley, just Ed Hurley, <laughs> with all due respect to Jimmy Dunn. Yeah, it's not in their mentality. It's not in anybody's mentality to do that. But something to be said for it. I mean, 
Who's the biggest oaf in professional golf? It's Grayson Murray. We all know that. Poor Rory here has been fighting for the tour for a year. He's at the, this this player meeting in Canada, and Grayson Murray tells Rory, "Fuck off!" Like, yeah. it, it does not get more thankless than yeah. that. Yeah, but I don't really believe that story because I don't think Rory would be rude enough to say that. <laughs> Was this where Rory said play better? Yeah, does that sound like Rory McIlroy to you? Well, that's the whole point. I mean, the, Rory's had a little bit of an edge in some of these meetings because he he also said, and this is I'm stealing stuff out of my book now, like in in one of these board meetings, no one pays money to watch Peter Malnati play golf. You know, Pierre Malnati is, is now a board member and he's won once in his whole career. And I think there's an exasperation now to, I think Roy's clearly frustrated. That was, that was why he would lash out. Also Grayson was like talking a lot and being a total idiot in this meeting and Roy had had enough and he actually was defending Jay Monahan. But um, the point is like, Rory doesn't need that. He does not need Grayson Murray of all people like dropping f bombs on him, and that—that's a position he put himself in, and it's got to be so disillusioning. And um, I don't know, you know, there, there's a collective strength in the Peter Malnati, Palm Peter Malnati's, and this is really the whole point of, of Live Golf versus the PJ Tour, or what used to be the PJ Tour, and we don't know what it'll be next year. That collectively, Tiger's got to beat all those guys. Rory's got to beat all those. John's John Rahm, and, and by the way, prior to this week, Wyndham Clark was one of those guys. You know. Uh, but it's really the collective strength of all these good players and them beating the collective strength that makes you a star in the, in the first place. Otherwise, you just really do have uh, a glorified all-star tour, which to me is what, what Live Golf is. But as you pointed out many times, the PJ Tour is now following the model. Can I, I got to ask you a question about this Live Tour because I've asked various people this. I asked Walter Driver this question today. I've asked agents this question. Wise old golf people. What are the Saudis investing in? Well, they are, they're not investing in Live Golf. They are, Live Golf is going to remain this parallel entity for as long as Yasser Al-Ramayan wants it to. But they are investing in this new company that's going to try and find new opportunities. And, you know, Monaghan talked about sports betting, talked about the TPC network and real estate, talked about their proprietary data. And so the whole point is to try and find new rev revenue streams. I mean, they're also investing in the tournaments and therefore getting access to all of these blue chip sponsors. You know, there's always been a certain number of companies that wouldn't do business with the Saudis or felt squeamish about it. Now they have the official stamp of approval. They bought the approval of the PGA Tour and therefore corporate America. So now if you're the CEO at, you know, pick a tour title sponsor and there's there's... Now Yasser and his people have access to this guy and vice versa. And so they're, they're investing in, in new industries. They're investing in new, in new initiatives. We can't even imagine yet. Um, they're also, you know, they, they also get the, the goodwill and the name recognition of being a tour sponsor and being very visible. And you're probably going to see a lot of guys on the PG tour wearing golf Saudi logos and you're going to see public investments fund signage at tournaments. And it just becomes this normalizing thing that, um, person who hasn't been paying close attention to this is like, oh, I guess those Saudi guys are cool. I mean, look, they're sponsoring my favorite tournament and the beer prices went from $6 to $3. And, um, you know, my favorite players wearing their logo. So that I, I like those guys. That's what they're investing in. I mean, part of it's public relations. But, you know, Yasser said in, in, that, in that interview at CN with Monaghan, it's his only public statements. He's like, we don't 
we we don't do charity. I'm paraphrasing. He said, we want things to be self-sustaining and profitable. And we see a path to profitability here. I mean, the, the public investment fund is now worth over $700 billion. The goal is to get to a trillion by 2025. Yasser's boss, who's very exacting and demanding, he wants the fund to be at $3, billion, at $3 trillion um, in 2030, $3 trillion. And so you don't, you don't get that by doing expensive PR campaigns. Like they, they have a, they have a mandate here to make money and they see opportunities. Uh, so, um, you know, you can, it obviously becomes a vehicle for, I mean, why does AT&T sponsor the Pebble beach tournament? It's so they can create all these relationships. They can host all their VIPs. They can, the business that comes out of that week is worth the $12 million they put into the first. And it's not about having their name. It's about the relationships and the access and all that. And so that's part of what the PIF is paying for. And now they have access to the entire PGA Tour roster. Of but could that PIF money actually wind up in tour purses or? Yeah. It could? Oh, yeah. Definitely. I mean, that it's going to have to because the, the that's the whole reason this happened is Monaghan wrote a bunch of checks he can't cash. You know, he promised the players $20 million elevated events. He promised them player impact uh, money. And the tours, and he was asking, he was squeezing the sponsors for more and more money, and they're like, "We're out." It doesn't even it doesn't even pencil out for us at nine million dollars. Now you want us to pay twenty, and so it's a win for the sponsors. They can just pay the old rate. The public investment fund can bridge the gap. The players can get paid. Monahan's not going to have a rebellion on his hands. So it's a great deal from the tour. And that the only thing it cost was Monahan's soul. That's it. They 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 secured hundreds of millions of dollars of free money. And the only thing that it cost was Monahan's reputation. It was a good deal for the tour. Do you think this would be a significant thing if they wanted to develop a a uh, a golf tourist industry? Uh, oh yeah. And now, but now you're literally going to put the PJ Tour stamp with you know Payne Stewart swing or whoever swing that is uh, in follow through. Yeah. And then that's going to create the message to the world that uh, yes. I mean, I get into all this in the book. I mean, one of the thirteen. So, and we're, we're getting, we're going, we'll get back to the US Open, don't worry. But the, um, you know, MBS has staked his whole reign on this Vision 2030. There's 13 pillars, 13 sectors that they want to grow. And tourism is one of them and sports is one of them. And golf combines both. And so, um, yeah, you're going to have TPC um, Riyadh and uh, that becomes a way to, to draw golf tourists and right. it, 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 it and, and they're going crazy wanna, with football. Yeah, and you want to get you want to you want to get Marriott to come in to build all the resorts and invest in it. You want to get you want to get Hertz. You want to get Four Seasons, like the you know Wyndham, like all these these companies these in the tourism sector that have long relationships with the tour. Now the Saudis have them too, so that's a, a big part of what they're paying for. Has Wyndham Clark uh, traded off his uh, given name in any way? I'm sure by tonight the deal will get signed, but. Um, when we go back to this U.S. Open leaderboard, I mean, we got to talk about Scotty Scheffler. Like, he just he falls out of bed and finishes third. Now it's incredible. Yeah, the level he's playing at. Yeah, I don't know how many six and eight footers he missed this week, but it was he's actually got to be kicking himself. Oh uh, God, yeah, only three back. Know, yeah, I mean, seventy was the worst he could have shot today. Um, but it's interesting because his putting is now becoming a thing, and now it's the. Now he's gonna have to talk about it and answer questions about it. You know, it, it's not just a week or two. Now he's now he's turned into a bad putter, and it's the only thing holding him back from winning majors. So yeah, that gets in your head, 
and people talk about it and the fans, there's energy. Every time he misses a six footer, there's that whistling and buzzing like, Oh, not again. And now all the, the Brad faxes of the world are going to be up in his business, trying to give him tips. And that's no place you want to be. I mean, that, that was Sergio Garcia. There's a lot of great players who couldn't putt. And, um, it, it's, it's a total mind fuck. Well, yeah, no, he hits it great, but with a funky move. So the, those two things in combination, they, they, but from, from what I've heard of the guy, when I've been around the guy, he doesn't seem like someone who's going to be put off to, you know, if they're, if they're dissing his putting on golf channel, do you think Scotty Schoffer's going to care? Not really. He definitely has a lot of dust in, in him, which is a compliment, you know, that ability to just let it all go and just focus on what matters, which is the next shot. But I mean, he knows internally he's putting bad and he's missing tons yeah, he's of I don't know. Yeah. So it, yeah. it's a thing. Yeah. Um, well, Alan, let me ask you this, if I may. What did you think of the LA Country Club North course? I think I would love to go play it tomorrow and every day after. I play it tonight. Uh, you know, we got about an hour and a half of daylight, Michael. Um, I mean, I, I wouldn't want to be a member of the club. Like, I hate clubs like this that are so up, uptight and stuffy. But I would love to be a permanent guest. But um, I think it's an incredibly fun golf course. I We saw so many cool shots and... There's no question that USGA was timid on the setup the first two days. And, you know, Wyndham Clark was one under on the weekend. Rory was one under on the weekend. Scheffler was two under. You know, those are your top three guys. Like, it played really exactly how you want a US Open to play on the weekend. The first two days, it was it was a little soft and vulnerable, and the scores went really low. But, um, you know, look at, look at Xander. I mean, he was five over the last three rounds. Um, Ricky was three over the last three rounds. So it's, um, it was a great test. I understand, you know, they'd never had an event here. I understand why the USGA was a little cautious, but it, that definitely affected perception. Like it was too wide in spots. I mean, you and I were, when we were walking back here to this podcast, we stood on the 10th tee. I mean, you said it looks like sheep ranch. I mean, it's the widest fairway in the world. Guys are driving at 380 and just having a wedge in. Like, where, where's the challenge there? I mean, they put the pin in some tough spots, but when the greens weren't super firm like today, it was accessible. And there was a lot of holes like that. So, um, yeah, it, wide it, fairways it, can be cool and provide a lot of different strategic elements. But this is the U.S. Open, and you, you want par to be an absolute premium. And I'm not obsessed with par, but I think it's kind of fun. And this one week where guys are pushed to the, the limits and the – to the breaking point and that there's danger on every swing that, you know, if, if you hook your drive 10 yards and you're in the rough, you're probably going to make a bogey. Like that's the tension starts before you even put the T in the ground. And then if you do hit it into the rough, then it's a battle all the way through here. You could spray the ball in a lot of the holes and you were still fine. And so it, it just, it just didn't have that oppressiveness that you want. It really makes no sense to set up a golf course this way for U.S. Open because this is an organization that's desperate to dial back the ball. The, the single most effective way for right now to dial back the ball at this level of play is to take driver out of the hands. So the only way can take driver out of the hands is give him a really narrow uh, uh, fairway. So for 18, for anybody today with the breeze in your face, to be able to step up there and hit a hard slice into the wind, you know, I understand I didn't see it, but I saw where it finished. Wyndham Clark's tee shot on 18, Evelyn was bad. Well, it was fine by the time it settled. And, they, you know, it must have thinned that second shot a little bit, came up short. But the point is, you know, my friend Mike Donald made this point. 18, and we saw it at Wingfoot. We've seen it at almost every U.S. Open. 18, you should be sweating 
bullets trying yes. to drive through the fairway, just trying yeah. to find a place. And there's really no challenge uh, in, in in hitting 18, 10, 8, uh, numerous other fairways. You know, the 15th, it was cute. Eh, not really. You know, it's not pebble, you know. Uh I don't know. Why not just have 140 yard par three? But <laughs> it was a little too much. Uh, I don't. I don't mind experimenting, trying stuff, and I love the, you know, the risk reward par fours, short par fours. That's neat. But just, yeah. When you say too timid, I think that's exactly the right word. It's like the USGA is kind of afraid to really take the reins here. And even with the ball, we heard it in the USGA press conference. I said, you know, we're going to rein back this ball. Well, really, even what you're saying, if you could get it, is not really reining back the ball. Yeah, 5% is nothing. It's a joke. It's, nothing. it's, a it's joke. actually it's, it's close to nothing. So I don't know. It didn't feel, I think, between Riviera and LA Country Club North, I, I mean, Riv is Riv. It's great. If I could only play one of the two courses, I'd rather play here. Now, as you say, change your shoes in the car park and go to the first day. That'd be fine. By the way, I have played it once. Have you ever played it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was a fantastic experience. I had a fried egg sandwich at the turn years ago with avocado, very thin, soft, like one of the best sandwiches, certainly <laughs> the best sandwich I've ever had at the tournament. I mean, it's really everything I do, they do well here. It's not, you know, your style or my style. Um, but Riviera, it seems to me like a U.S. Open course. I'd be shocked if there's not a, another U.S. Open Riviera before tonight. I know. I mean, they're already committed to coming back here in, in uh, you know, 16 years. What year is it? 2039. 39. Why? I just hope we're Why are you making these crazy long-term commitments? I, I mean, my philosophy in life now is commit to as little as you yeah. possibly can. <laughs> Well, we should be so going out of the way to commit to things they don't have to commit to. I know it's true. The, the listeners should know that Michael often just books a one-way flight and I'll say, how are you, when are you, when are you flying out? He's like, I don't know. This is like on the day after the tournament and he just wings it. So yeah, you're, you're, you're but true to your word. Well, why, why is USC doing this? Do they I mean, think they're going to start selling tickets for America 2051 <laughs> now or 2050, whenever it is? I think, I think. It's just a negotiation. The LACC said, well, if we're going to go through all this trouble, we want two U.S. Opens, not just one. We don't want to be a one-off. And so like, okay, fine. We'll give, you the, we'll give you this one, and we'll just put one way out there we don't have to think about for a while. It, it'll be interesting. I'm sure that, I mean, it's one of my favorite subplots is the pride of the members is always damaged when, when at the Open. And well, in the part of the memberships at Shinnecock, membership at Shinnecock Hills, be like, yeah, we don't know about this. Yeah, that's been a long time to recover. Yeah, uh, and and so I'm sure there's there's a lot of bitter, um, you know, white shoe lawyers running around the clubhouse raging against the USGA. I would be curious um, what kind of philosophies change for the next setup if, if everyone's having buyer's remorse and because this was not a the winning score doesn't matter. It was just the sense it didn't feel like a U.S. Open. And part of that was the crowds. It's been talked about a lot. We don't have to go deep on it. But um, they just, it just didn't it didn't have the electricity you want. There was a nice crowd there on 18, but that was only because of the build-out down the first fairway. And, um, and I, I wonder if it might be sellers or worse. I wonder if, I wonder if the LA Country Club was going to be like, when you say buyers or worse, did you mean the USGA? I kind of meant they're both they're they're essentially both buyers and sellers in this transaction, and yeah, I I, I kind of meant both. You're right, but I, I I could imagine. I mean, I don't know the membership. I really don't know this club at all. But I could imagine the club saying, "Eh, it was nice, but we don't need it again." You know, you're giving up a lot. You're giving up your south course. That's beat up, parking, all the rest. You 
it's kind of, it's not like Marion where it's so much part of the tradition to have these USGA competitions and especially US Opens. Like they can have other competitions here that aren't so demanding. And it's all subject to reevaluation. And I agree. 2039 could wind up at Chambers Bay or Aaron Hills. We'll see. Chambers Bay could be much improved. There's oh, no yeah. reason why it couldn't. I thought Chambers Bay was cool, but it's a beautiful piece of land. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's probably in some ways, Wyndham Clark was the right winner for it, just kind of fits like, like a good, but not a great winner. Uh, a um, from the popular perception, did he earned it? He, he played lights out. All creds, Wyndham Clark. But the casual fans are going to kind of be like, oh, "I wish we had Rory. Wish we had Ricky." Um, and it just—I guess—it seems sort of fitting somehow. Like um, he was the right man at the right time, and I don't—I don't mean that disparagingly. Like he hit the shots, he won the tournament, um, but it's not going to be remembered as a transcendent open you know if, if rory had won this and then went on to win six more like this would have been in the timeline of his career and in golf it would have been deeply impactful and if ricky had won it would have, it would have been larger than life there would have been 30 guys on the green to mob him you know and um uh, so did you feel uh what, what alan what was your impression of that moment when we were watching ricky just standing on that putting standing on that 18th green waiting yeah, that was that was cool. I don't know if the cameras caught this. So Clark taps in, wins the open, celebrates lustily as he should. Lots of hugs, lots of kisses, and Rory just threw on the back of the green, as still as a statue. Just the the, the picture of dignity and did you, say, did you say Rory or Ricky? Oh, I meant Ricky. Did I say yeah, Rory? I'm not sure, but Ricky. Yeah. It was Ricky. My, yeah, if I said Rory, I meant Ricky, and and it was just neat. It was just it was like. It was the right thing to do. He wasn't pouting. He wasn't moping. I mean, he, he just played a mediocre round and lost the U.S. Open. And um, and he was totally cool about it. And um, and we, we had a great look at it. It was just, um, it felt right in the moment. And what does feel right, and so much doesn't kind of feel right in golf right now, uh, it was just nice to see. Do you feel, you know, as a golf fan, do you feel any live PJ Tour divide when you're looking at a board as to you're rooting for who you might be rooting for because unlike the masters, which was very, very much live versus tour and the PGA championship to a slightly lesser degree, but still was this one didn't have that feel at all. Now part of it's the way the board shook out, but part of it is just the, the news of last week. Yeah, I totally agree. That's completely mellowed out. I mean, I, you know, Cameron Smith, well, he had, he had the low round of the day among the guys who went out late. There was a couple early 65, you know, for like John Rahm, the ultimate backdoor top 10. Um, but Cameron Smith was the hottest guy on the course when it really mattered. But he ran out of holes, but he looked great. You know, he's going to wind up, he finishes fourth. Um, and Dustin, every time they showed Dustin, he was hitting it to six feet and missing the putt. Like, I'd like to see his putting stats this week because, um, you know, he finished tied for 10th and I – it's got to be one of the worst putting performances of his career from what I saw. So they were there. They're in the mix. Um, but, yeah, I, I feel like that that subplot has has completely mellowed out, even though it remains very unsettled what next year is going to look like in golf. Um, I, there's been a lot of speculation. Jimmy Dunn has fueled it. You know, that Jay Monahan's going to shut down live golf. Like, I don't believe that for a second. I don't think he has that power. It's going to be Yasser's decision. But – um, because of the antitrust reasons, because of the contracts, that all the commitments they've made, 
I, I feel very certain they'll be live golf in 2024. After that, they'll reassess it. But um, so, you know, yeah, there, there still will be a divide in the game, um, whether whether they can make peace and, and get and the live guys can take sponsors exemptions and play a certain number of events on the tour, like how that's going to shake out. I mean, I think there will be some cross pollination, but um, there, there will still be a separation, but it, it won't be as bitchy. And we kind of know that there'll be a reapproachment at some point. So it feels like it's just gonna be a transitional year and then we'll see how it, how it all plays out. So yeah, I didn't feel that energy at all. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you remember what a big fuss it was? Uh, well at the masters, absolutely for sure. The whole quote golf establishment was praying that John Rahm would get to the house and the, and, and Brooks Kepka would not. And Phil, they're completely dismissive of, uh, at the PGA, you know, Kepka was so powerful. He's a powerful presence. It's hard to dismiss. But there was still the whole thing when uh, Seth Waugh didn't shake his hand and Seth can say what he wanted to say, and he did. But the fact is, he didn't shake his hand. You, you know what I'm talking about? I know what you're talking about. I mean, supposedly that was not their first go around on the photo. And, the, and I think what I heard was Seth had already taken a photo with him. He got, and what, you're right. But that would be, it just became a story, whether it was one or not. And um, But, you know, the difference also is – Phil, we know, has been such a muckraker, and um, Patrick Reed, who was also in contention at the Masters, like those are worst case scenarios. Brooks has always, in, throughout this whole thing, has displayed very little interest in mixing it up, and he wasn't part of the lawsuits. He hasn't, he hasn't been, been, you know, part of the sniping on social media. So he's him and Dustin have stayed above the fray, and Cam Smith too. Did you make any eye contact with uh, Phil Mickelson this week? Um, I did not. Do you kind of try to avoid it so you don't feel like you're maybe getting in his face where you may not want it? Or what's your attitude about that? Yeah, I I've, ever since that thing happened in London where I got bounced out of his press conference, I've tried to give him a wide berth because I don't want people to think that I'm like trying to insert myself into his business or trying to make it myself the story. I, I did I did try and ask him a few questions and live Mexico at the start of this year because I really needed to fact check something with him. Uh, for the book, and he um, somewhat brusquely declined, and that's was that in a group setting or no? Oh, I got him walking off the um, the driving range, just him and I. And what a weird one of the weirdest years in golf. When you think about where he was a year ago, it, with that odd press conference before the tournament, and then some really pretty mediocre play, and then a stunning round of golf Sunday at the Masters, and then I truly now I'm wrong often. I truly thought he'd come here and contend. I really, really did. Knows the course well, knows the grasses, been around here a lot. A lot of short game action on this course. Yeah, I think he did play horribly. He missed the cut by one, but it was just, um, and yeah, it was disappointing. I mean, I I don't know. The ma the, the Masters is, is the most predictable tournament of the year. Who's going to play well? You still got to do it, but there, Phil is dangerous there in perpetuity. But but getting his game to travel, it just hasn't happened since Kiowa. So, I mean, we're, we're now going on two years since he really made a run anywhere other than Augusta. That's that wasn't a run. That was freakishly making four birdies at the end of the day. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's the mystery of golf. Why do people play well when they do and they don't? I mean, how many people on planet Earth picked Wyndham Clark this year? You know, I'm I'm staying at you met my aunt Harriet. I'm staying with her and her her boyfriend. 
Myron who loves golf and every night he's asking who do you think is going to win and he's he's got a bookie he's placing bets and he's doing all this stuff and no one mentioned Wyndham Clark I didn't he didn't you didn't nobody but shout out to Michael Bamber who did predict the winning score of 10 under at the start of the week I did predict the winning score of 10 under I did not even consider Wyndham Clark by Saturday night I did think we I thought it'd be Wyndham Clark and Scotty Shuffer uh uh necking it out uh neck and neck the most impressive part of his whole package as a golfer is the grit he is so gritty i mean some of those saves that that bogey he saved um you know on the par five on the front nine on number eight like that was that was a u.s open bogey it looked like he was going to make a triple he sneaked out of there with a six and that that was probably the key moment of the final round and um some superb up and downs I mean, when he leaves that when he leaves that approach on 18 so short, that amphitheater, they let the crowds run down the 18th fairway. There's a lot of energy. There's a lot of commotion. It's like you and I both thought he's going to have to make a five footer to win the U.S. Open, and he knocked up their stone dead. Like just gritty, gritty performance. I wonder with that super heavy long grip that he's got on the putter. I wonder what what that's like to. Uh, I have to. I don't know. I mean, I've never used one. I kind of tried one. I just think it's hard to hit it hard enough when when you're nervous. It's just hard to hit it hard enough when you're nervous. Uh, so yeah, I did expect. I thought that would come up five feet short. Uh, I mean, it, it, it was great putt. It was, it was a great putt. putt, and then he didn't waste any time knocking the the game winner in, like, I, which is smart. It's probably the right thing to do. But like, it was people have missed two foot putts before, and um, it was uh, it was cool. I mean, I I really. Uh, I do feel like a star was born. We started. We said that at the top of the the telecast, the podcast. We're getting we're getting heckled by KVV. I don't really feel like a star was born. I feel like you know we've identified a super talent, and I don't think he'll, he doesn't. His personality doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't seem like he wants to be a star. It just seems. Well, like that's an interesting question. To, I mean, can you become a star just by winning a lot of golf tournaments, well, or is there, is there some no, some other Scotty quality? Shuffer. I mean, is Scotty Shuffer a superstar of any sort, you know, do you think he goes into a mall? If yeah. guys say hi to him, he'll say hi back. Talent plus charisma. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, now Ricky's the other side of the thing. He has charisma. Does not the resume. He's sort of a superstar and he was in all those ads, but he doesn't have the, you know, he's got now this, uh, Wyndham Clark's got one more major than he does. What about, what about John Rom? Like John Rom, I think has, has, he has, has presence. Life. He has presence. I don't know if he yeah. has charisma. Yeah, but he's got gravitas. He's got gravitas. Ears, you know, a word I'm sure he uses all the time. One of the agents told me today, one of the Spanish agents told me this week that his English is better than his Spanish. That, I mean, that is really hard to do. English is a hard language to pick up the idiomatic nature it's of beautiful. English. beautiful. He speaks beautifully. He's got a huge presence. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Cam Smith, not a star. Incredible golfer, not a star. Uh, Roy McIlroy, star. But a flawed golfer. He's just flawed. Yep. Uh, Xander Shoffley, no. Dustin Johnson, yes. Harris English, no. Ricky, yes. Fleetwood, yes. But he needs to do something. I don't know. I mean, everyone loves Fleetwood. And, I mean, he shoots 63 today to finish fifth. It's vintage Tommy. Um, You know, what was last? I think Tommy hasn't won in three years anywhere in the world. Can you believe that? No, I really can't. With his iron play, I really can't. Talking about a guy who hits it whole high. That's what's so fascinating about tournament golf as theater. Like all these guys look good on the range. Most of them look good on the practice putting green. But 
can you do it on Sunday with the world watching? That's the ultimate question. And and today, Wyndham Clark did, and no one else. See, a Ricky Fowler top fiving here. That doesn't, he didn't play his way into the Masters. That's a shame for him. In other words, had he gotten up and down on 18, he would have played his way into the Masters. Yeah. Hello, brother. I mean, he, he'll be, he was already, what, 44th coming? Oh, so, so the world, he'll still be so top world, 50. So world ranking, he's in okay. good shape. He's got a very he's got chance a few to be ways top to do 50 it. in the world. He gets the tour championship. Like, there's a lot of ways to do it, but you're right. That would have been an easy one. Just check the box. Yeah. So, yeah, those are the little games in the game. It also makes it all the more impressive for him that he stuck around like that because, there was a, a number of disappointments. Uh, and, uh, you know, Butch has uh, had an incredible impact on so many golfers. He tried to, there was a vote to get him in the Hall of Fame this year. I think he missed by one vote from what I've heard. And uh, it would have been sort of, I think, made a no-brainer. Had he, had he taken Ricky Fowler from the depths of where he was and helped, get, helped to make him, make him a, uh, a U.S. Open winner, that would have been a path. Who knows if that's meaningful to Butcher or not. I've heard that it's quite meaningful to him, uh, 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 to the Hall of Fame. So anyway, as you say, there's always, there's so many things, and that's the pleasure of being a reporter in this game. There's so many layers and layers and layers of things going on that uh, that we don't know. I never knew, uh, did you ever know anything about Wyndham Clark's uh, mother passing away years ago and the heartache of that? I did not know that story at all until this week. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, um, that, I'd picked up on it, I guess, around when he, when he won at Charlotte. And, but, uh, yeah, he's, and you know, it's father's day. Like how sweet is that? I'm sure it's, it's always any holiday when you've lost someone is, is emotional. I'm, I'm sure that adds extra layer for that family and good for them. Like you gotta be happy for them. So, uh, well, it, it was not, it was not a transcendent U S open, but it was a very interesting one. I'm glad we got to share it, Michael. Yeah, um, I am too. And it's always, uh, it's always fun to talk about these things Sunday night. All you folks out there, thanks for going on this journey with us. Um, we will uh, we'll see how many fire drills are are in store. We have one more major. Uh, we, we like to keep people guessing when the next one will be, but uh, <laughs> there's always another fire drill. So sometimes we say and we're not correct. So probably better not to say and that now that's correct. I do want to tip our cat before we go to uh, Dormy Workshop. Maker of beautiful uh, leather goods. Are they artisan? They're they're artisanal, yes. And uh, <laughs> the um, if you go to um, firepitcollected.com and you click on our uh, pit shop tab, we've got some really neat stuff. Dormy actually made the red, white, and blue one that you'll see, uh, which is kind of inspired by the U.S. Open. That, that's exclusive to us, and there's some other neat things there. And um, use uh, Fire Pit 15, you'll get 15% off. So thank you to Dormy for their continued support. Uh, Michael, it was a pleasure. Always. And um, for Michael Bamberg, this is Alan Shipnack. Uh, that was another fire drill. And this is the end. I bet big and I played the win. Made a fortune when my ship came in. I ran the table, never thought I could fall. Then the winter time hit me like a cannonball. And now I shake this losing streak every road I take is a dead end street I got thoughts in my head can't get them out trying not to think what I'm thinking about I got thoughts in my head can't get them out trying not to think what I'm thinking about
This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.